Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, this is Ben Standing and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. On today's episode, my colleague with The Athletic, John Machota, Cowboys insider, joins me during the season. John and I caught up and we did a we did a, a bit where we asked each other three questions about where things stand with the other person's team try to catch up and I thought you know what I'll be honest I've sort of lost a little bit of touch with what's going on around the division so thought let's get in let's get some inside thoughts as to what's happening with the Cowboys yeah we talked Dak, Dak Prescott and a bunch more and it wasn't just going that way John threw some stuff in my direction that I think was a was was a fun way to get somebody talking about this team who's looking at it from the outside so uh and you know some Ryan Fitzpatrick some some uh, unit the, the the football team can ill afford to have to have issues with this year and so on so another fun episode here on the standard room only podcast which of course you can find uh if you, if you subscribe on itunes or spotify or anywhere else to do your podcasting and of course make sure you can so you subscribe to the athletic to read uh my work there as i told you guys um a bit ago, I've been sort of pre-recording some of these episodes before I took a little bit of time away. So I hope you, everybody's been enjoying the podcast. Uh, if you've missed some of the recent ones, of course, I had my one-on-one interview with Ron Rivera. Uh, talked about a bunch of different topics with the team. From there, spoke with uh, our friend Mark Bullock uh, uh, to get some insight from him uh, to, on the film work aspect. Of this team, I spoke a little bit about the name change article that I wrote about, uh, and I also had a deep dive into fantasy football with Jake Seeley, also from The Athletic. So plenty to catch up on if you guys are looking for some podcasting fun. Uh, if, you if you missed any episodes, go check them out. Um, that said, I hope everybody is doing well. It is uh, July 4th week, and um don't know what everybody's doing, but hopefully you guys are... Um, Enjoying it. I'm going to get some time um, with your family, do whatever you do on, or, or maybe get away from your family. I don't know. Sometimes it's, sometimes that's the better move. It just depends. Um, but hopefully whatever you guys are doing, you're, you're, you're doing well. And uh, ho- hopefully there's no crazy Washington football team news that you're going, wait, why is Ben doing a podcast and he's not talking about these things? Well, you know, because it happened after I talked, after I recorded this. So, that's what's going to happen, but I did want to get some podcasts out. And I want to get you guys listening to this conversation. Myself and John Bichota talking about the Washington football team, the Dallas Cowboys, the NFC East, and more here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, as promised, we're going to get into the NFC East. If you're a Washington football fan, that means you hate all those teams, but you really, really dislike one in particular, and that team is represented by our friend today, John Machoto, who covers the Dallas Cowboys for The Athletic. So not, sorry to put that uh, burden on you, but that's just, the, that's just the way it comes. I'm sure it feels the same coming back from your end. Not, not We're good with each other, but, you know, the people <laughs> on your end don't exactly like our team and, and vice versa. Oh, I mean, like being a native Metro Detroiter, I'm not from Dallas. You know, I've been down here for 10 years. I get the hate for the Dallas Cowboys. I completely understand it because it's like, even that it's not like they've won any Super Bowls recently. And then the Cowboys, all their storylines are kind of just thrown down everybody's throat nationally. Uh, whether it's Dak Prescott's contract, like who the next head coach is going to be just all kinds of Cowboy stuff. 
So I've always understood why, you know, people dislike the Cowboys. Even some of it is even their own doing it just because of the, the brand that they've become. So no, I'm used to that, especially if I do any radio interviews, like outside of, you know, the Dallas area, you definitely get, you can definitely tell that like when you're getting asked questions and stuff like that, but I'm not some defensive, like I've been a Cowboys fan since I was eight. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not like that. And even if I was, I think I'd be pretty desensitized by this point. Cause the nineties Cowboys is a long time ago. And it not, it's not like they've been knocking on the door of that type of dominance. So, well, I mean, I did grow up a fan of this team and I did loathe your team and all that stuff. I think when I was for my bar mitzvah, the cake that like my mother got for the thing on the, my birthday is around Thanksgiving. So um, on the cake, I think it was like the Redskins mascot shooting like an arrows into a <laughs> cowboy. Like it was that, but yes, at this point in life, I'm beyond the fact that I have this job in which you got to lose all your fandom. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't have the, the only thing at this point that my sports, sports hate still maintained is uh you know duke can go suck it at all times <laughs> but other than that i'm sort of like well whatever i actually this so basically i love duke by the way i don't know if you know that oh, i'm like no. a die i'm a diehard duke my mom's uh, maiden name is shashevsky so yeah oh I'm a, i've been a You're, diehard duke duke, you my entire duke, life. duke and the cowboys oh my yeah. lord isn't that bad oh it's terrible oh so oh my god all right well well uh we may have to have you on for a different conversation about the shashevsky legacy and all yeah. that um, sure. <laughs> I will say that one time when Christian Leitner, he came back for an alumni event because he was on the Wizards at one point. Right. He came back for alumni event. And this was after the documentary came out that I hate Christian Leitner documentary. And I definitely did. And so I was talking to him. And after about five minutes, I was like, oh, shit, do I not hate Christian Leitner? Oh, my God. What is happening here? He's not that he's not he's not that terrible oh no this is terrible and like i got to know trajan langdon because he used to be a scout oh that's right yeah area before he went on to now he's gm for the pelicans so guy i I told him one time i'm like hey i just to be honest with you oh my god i couldn't stand you oh my god yeah i'm telling you to tie back into the cowboys everything you just said about leitner i would uh, and and even more far beyond that i you would totally feel that way if instead of me being on this podcast right now it was jerry jones like Anybody that has a conversation with Jerry Jones, it's really hard to dislike him. I mean, I've seen him, you know, at road games where fans are like yelling at him that they can't stand, but then like he gets close and then they're trying to get his autograph. Like, I don't know, like Jerry's just got to wait with like people when he talks to them. So that totally reminds me of the Christian Leitner thing. Like if you got a chance to meet Jerry Jones, any Washington football fan listening to this right now, if you got a chance to meet Jerry Jones, I'm not saying that you would go from the beginning of the conversation to the end, not hating him or not hating the Cowboys, but you'd be, you would walk away from it saying very similar things to what Ben just said about Christian Leitner. I'm, I'm very, very convinced of that. <laughs> By the way. So I, I told John, I don't exactly know when I'm going to run this, but we're recording this before I uh, take some time off literally just this minute. It came, it was announced that the Dallas met that Rick Carlisle is leaving the Dallas Mavericks. It's, it's wild because right after uh, the season ended, um, Tim McMahon, who used to cover the Cowboys, he, he now covers the NBA for ESPN Dallas, texted Mark Cuban and asked him, like, this is like, this is minutes after they had the season ended, they lost to the Clippers in game seven. And it was interesting how he said that his response was like, you basically don't fire a, a head coach unless you know that you have somebody that's like considerably better than them. And right. I just, and again, that ties into the Cowboys. Cause I feel like that with Mike McCarthy, a lot of people talk about him, you know, if he doesn't have a good year, he's gonna be in the hot seat. I'm just like, 
Well, yeah, if there's somebody else out there that Jerry thinks is better than Mike McCarthy, but Jerry like loves Mike McCarthy. That's why they didn't really cast this wide net in their coaching search. I mean, it was basically Mike McCarthy is the guy that got the job. So, you know, even if things go bad for the Cowboys this year, I don't know that Mike McCarthy is out after only two years. I, I actually think that it's a way greater chance that he's back, even if they had the exact same disappointing season. But, uh, but yeah, that's crazy with Carlisle. Cause you know, I can't really, and I know, you, you know, you've covered the NBA and, and things like that far deeper than I'm just a fan, but there's not many guys out there. When I, when I saw Tim tweet that out, that I was like, Oh, well, this guy's much better than him. Like I was literally like, okay, Greg Popovich. <laughs> right. Like right. there's even parts of like two years ago. And even still now, I would still say that uh, I'm trying to think here. I want to make sure I don't leave anybody out. Okay. But yeah, Steve Kerr, that's the only one I can think of that. I'd be like, yeah, if you get Steve Kerr, but there's a part of me, it's also like, well, he's also got a ton of a talent there, but like, I'm a guy coming from, from Detroit who like thinks that like Rick Carlisle would have won a championship with, with Detroit if, if they didn't have Larry Brown come in there. So it was like, when I come down here and he's this long time coach lasting much longer than most NBA coaches do. And then they win a championship in a city that hasn't won a championship. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks were a laughing stock for a long time to now I'm just kind of like, who are you getting that is considerably better than Rick Carlisle? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Obviously uh, not, not to, uh, automatically plug the athletic but if you didn't read but at the time you hear this the way uh, the athletic had is now a two-part story about everything that's going on behind the scenes with the mavericks it's really fascinating especially the part where uh this like famous uh sports gambler became part of the organization and it seems to be a lot of he's in the mix for a lot of the reasons why things are a turnover anyway nobody came here to listen to to that what they came here is to hear us fire off questions to each other we did this back in october during the season I don't. I, I. I would almost be fascinated to, to have gone back and listened to that podcast because at that point, I'm sure all the questions in or all the questions or responses on this end were of like, so what are they going to do with their top five pick? Uh, <laughs> what? 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 What's going wrong? And like from that point on, like they won. You know, they 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 won. Um, what, five of their last seven games, whatever it was, win win this NFC East because nobody else wanted to win it. And uh, you know, you guys. Uh, you know, once Dak got hurt early on, it kind of went, it kind of went south. So we thought, all right, well, at least I, I thought John kindly said he, he would do it. We do sort of the same format, catch up with what's going on on the other end, each ask each other three questions about uh, what's going on uh, with our respective teams. Um, so I will give you the honors as the guest. Actually, you know what? It should go the other way. Let people hear from you. They hear from me all the time. I'll ask you the first question because this way you get to talk and, and share your thoughts. So um, I guess I will just start with, with sort of the obvious. I mentioned Dak Prescott got hurt last year. I feel like with athletes these days, we just assume they all come back from injury. Look what's going on with the NBA with Kevin Durant. He tears an Achilles and he's back to being the greatest player on planet Earth. If Dak doesn't get hurt, you know, I think a lot of people would assume Dallas wins the division last year, but he did. He's, he's, he's got a, a long-term contract now. He's back. But where are we at physically with Dak Prescott at this point? Yeah, I think he's surprisingly ahead of schedule, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not obviously a, a scout or a you know, doctor, but I can tell you this. If you just go, if you went to any of their OTA sessions that were open to the media or any of their mini camp sessions and watch Dak, like if you didn't know that he had suffered that injury, which as nasty as it was, obviously – people have probably seen that replay too many times for how grotesque that is, but he just never seemed to be favoring his ankle in any aspect, whether it be, you know, moving on the run, throwing, 
doing team drills, doing stuff individually, like never looked like a guy that even changed like any part of his throwing motion. None of his movement skills looked like they had changed. He looked like the same guy that I felt like I saw the practice before he got hurt last October. Um, now in talking to him after you find out that, yeah, you know, there was some steps for him even after that first mini camp pra- or first OTA practice where it was like, you know, you probably are experiencing a little bit of soreness because you're doing a lot more than you were before. But he said, is that ramped up? You know, he felt back like he was to his old self. Now I will say this, their team drills, just much like with, with Washington, it's not like they're tackling to the ground. Dak's not taking any, any shots at his ankle. And when he was doing 11 on 11, it was really 11 on seven because they didn't put a defensive line out there because they don't want anybody accidentally rolling into his ankle this time of year, but he's on track. He's supposed to be a full go from the very first day of training camp. Their first training camp practice is uh, July 21st, I believe. And so he's expected to be a full go doing everything. Um, But the biggest, the biggest hurdle now for him will be taking a hit. You know, we're not going to even see that in training camp. The quarterbacks aren't going to be taking hits. So how much is he even going to play in the preseason? Probably not much. So we're looking at week one before he really takes a good solid hit and has to get back up and go, all right, my ankle's good. Like he's not taking those in practice. So there's a, that's the next threshold, but as of everything we've seen, and obviously he's built, he's a bigger guy. He's pretty sturdy built quarterback who hasn't had any injuries up until this point. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how he gets up after taking some shots, but he also has to be mobile. That's when he's at his best. I mean, he can win from the pocket, but he needs to have that mobility uh, to be at his best. And from what we saw at OTAs and minicamp, it did not look like anybody that was coming off a major injury. Part of the off season, a lot was going on in the NFL this off season, but part of it was his contract. And it's so fascinating. Like when he got hurt, everyone's like, Oh no, he blew, you know, he might've just blown the chance to get that contract. And it turns out, no, <laughs> didn't make any difference. He still got a huge deal. And uh, I, I, you know, right. He's going to be, it's up with like what, a four-year deal or whatever. And then he's going to be back in free agency again, still pretty, pretty young. So it seems like it worked out pretty well for him. Was that deal? I mean, like I said, it sounds like you're saying he's ahead of schedule, but we'll see. It's still an injury. Was that situation? Like, do, do you feel like that it, for the Cowboys perspective, that that was all good, that his upside was worth taking the risk to give a guy still that huge of a contract coming off that injury. Yeah, I think it was just because of not only as a player, but just what he means leadership wise to this team. Like if I was doing a mailbag uh, earlier today um, and, and one of the questions was about like, who are like the vocal leaders or who are the leaders on the team on this side of the ball and this side of the ball and all this. And it's like, like, I had guys in my head, but I was like, I'm going to go look through the roster one more time just to make sure I'm not forgetting anybody. And it's just crazy how much Dak stands out of like, he's just clearly, he's the face of the Cowboys and it's not even close. Nobody else is on the same level as him and all the players buy into him. Like he is, he is absolutely the unquestioned leader of this team. So you have to factor that in to the equation too. Cause I'm sure there's a ton of NFL fans that when he got that deal, were like, Dak's not, it doesn't belong up there with Deshaun Watson or, Patrick Mahomes in terms of his play of getting that type of a deal and things like that. But there's so much more that goes into that. And the other part of it is just, okay. So if they move on from Dak, where are they going at quarterback? It's just such an important position. So, you know, did Jerry Jones want to get him for a little bit cheaper than that? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. He did. But at the same time, that was a position and what he brings on and off the field that he was willing to bet on. And Jerry's not the only one that's, that's bet on him, obviously. I mean, Nobody has bet on themselves that I've ever met in my life more than Dak Prescott. I mean, 
he could have easily signed an extension several years ago and gotten way less than this. And then you just look at that, everything that's fallen in place for him. It's not like he's like, since then elevated to the point where like they've won a super bowl, then it's like, well, you're going to get all, he hasn't even reached that stuff yet. And he's already got way more endorsements than anybody else, including he just got the Jordan brand deal uh, last week, five-year deal. And those numbers haven't been revealed. So who knows what he's making off that on top of, you know, Campbell's chunky soup and Oikos and uh, AT&T and uh, you know, car dealerships and, you know, uh, sleep number bet. I mean, he's just got Pepsi, like Campbell's chunky soup. Like he's got all these huge brands behind him too. It's like, everybody feels pretty confident betting on, on Dak Prescott. So, you know, to people that are just going by his play, I can see where maybe they'd say, yeah, he got overpaid. Um, but for everything he brings to an organization like the Cowboys, that's the other thing. Like you can go take a, a really talented quarterback off of another team. You can't guarantee me that quarterback does the exact same thing they did on that team with the Dallas Cowboys, the media circus, the Jerry Jones, everything else that comes in there. So when you mix all that in, I can see why you would bet on Dak Prescott. It, it's to me, it's a pretty easy bet to make. I mean, I just mentioned Deshaun Watson, like, Obviously, you don't know. We only know so much about these players, but you feel pretty confident you're not going to have to worry about anything off the field with Dak either. Like, it just seems like he's got everything together. Like, he's, he, he keeps the main thing the main thing, which is football, and then the everything he has around him seems like he just has in place. And so it just he's just easy to bet on. Um, before we move on to the next question, you mentioned, like, him betting on himself. You know, Washington had this a couple of years ago. Kirk Cousins – bet on himself multiple times he passed on any type of a long-term deal to stay on the, to play on the franchise tag he kind of set that I don't know if precedent seems a bit strong because it's not like too many other people have done that although Washington ironically has another player currently on a two in the second year of, a, of the franchise tag and Brandon Sheriff but he did that took the injury risk it obviously paid off for him in Minnesota and Washington I guess you could say was low was giving him some not so great offers but it's interesting like Jerry is like we're, we're keeping we're keeping this guy and i'm not saying kirk cousins or dak prescott are the same guy but you know whatever i think they're probably in the same general class maybe dak's a little bit ahead whatever but um but washington just uh, at that point in particular just didn't have a good feel for what was going on they either should have traded him or said all right we're gonna we're gonna keep you and they didn't jerry what got to the line he's like screw this we're not letting this guy go whatever you know no and probably nobody's going to criticize him for signing him to that deal no matter what happens because he's already proven to be good and he is their guy the their guy thing there's some value to that fans want their guys kirk didn't always feel like a their guy here because of the rg3 stuff but in any event it's interesting that the the bet on yourself quarterback paid off for it for you for dallas not so much for uh for washington all right uh your turn you get to ask a question about this fun team i cover so when we did this last time i i don't remember exactly how i asked it but it was something along the lines of like will alex smith be their starting quarterback next year something along those lines so hope i said no obviously that (laughs) that wasn't the case or that's not going to be the case but i'm gonna tie this one with ryan fitzpatrick and do you think ryan fitzpatrick will be washington's starting quarterback a year from now. So if we do this podcast exactly a day, uh, one year from now on this same day is Ryan Fitzpatrick still Washington starting quarterback. So it's interesting because right now the question is, is he even going to be the starting quarterback week one? Because Ron Rivera has now multiple times, according to me on this podcast said that it's a two person competition between Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke, which that's a whole other story because it takes Kyle Allen out and, we're talking about what Taylor Heineke did in five quarters 
basically at the end of the year, including the, the playoff game where he played very well um, against Fitzpatrick, who it's such a weird thing to say Fitzpatrick should be the obvious favorite considering his crazy career, but he's played really well the last two years. He's got way more experience. They signed him to the one year, $10 million contract, which isn't like, you know, paying through the nose like Dallas did for Dak Prescott, but it's more than the, you know, than Heineke and all them got. Um, I would imagine that Fitzpatrick starts here and I think if you, I think I said somewhere, if you set the over under 15 and a half starts for Fitzpatrick, I guess I would say over barring the unforeseen, you know, injuries that said, it's really hard based on his career to project anything beyond the next 10 minutes. Right. I mean, he's never been in a play. He's never been in the playoffs. There's always a, a, a reason to bench him. And a lot of times it's, there's the young quarterback behind him. And that's true. But you know, at some point, once you start, getting the reputation of a guy that you can bench it becomes easier to do it. So that doesn't necessarily answer the question about what's going to happen after this season. And look, there's, they've, they've upgraded their weapons on offense. There's a reason to think their offense should be a lot better than it was last year, which is a low bar, but regardless, like it should be, it seems like it could be a pretty decent offense. And Fitzpatrick would be at the middle of that, but you know, a one-year deal um, they wanted him, but you know, he wasn't their first choice. And um I guess if you if I had to pick, I would say no, he's not that guy. I'm not saying it would be Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen. Maybe it's probably somebody who's not even here. But it, you know, just based on Ryan, I mean, this is more of just the look at the evidence. His career is he doesn't stay anywhere too long. He moves around a bunch, and we know he's going to be 39, regardless of how well he plays. And at some point, you know, I know Tom Brady's trying to defy this, but at some point you know, things start to decline. So I would say, no, he's not the guy, but at the same point, we don't, you know, my biggest knock for their off season would be that we don't still don't know who the guy is long-term. Um, so that I'll say no, but it's not like there's an obvious answer sitting there right now. Do you uh, want me to go back to back questions for you? Or do you want if to keep, you, if you want to keep rotating? <laughs> well, we can keep rotating. We, the, okay. the, the, the people want to hear from, 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 from you. They're tired of me. Um, <laughs> So let me ask you this. So Washington drafted Jamin Davis with the 19th pick and linebacker seemed like a pretty obvious need for Washington. Um, I never really thought that Micah Parsons would get to 19, but if he did, the reason would seemingly be because whatever question people apparently seem to have about him off the field, maturity, whatever it is, right, wrong. I, I, I don't know, but like that seemed to be the knock on him, not the athleticism, not the talent, there's a reason why a lot of people thought he was worthy of being picked in the top 10, but these sort of, you know, mature off the field questions. I thought if he somehow slipped and if he got, even if he was there at 19, even if he was a guy that Washington could really use, I'd be like, boy, Ron Rivera talks about culture way too much. It feels like to take a guy who at that point must've slipped because a lot of other people question this. And then the draft happens and Dallas picks Micah Parsons, which I'm like, Oh, of course that happened because it feels like Dallas often picks players who have these questionable backgrounds. And again, maybe it doesn't always pan out. Sometimes, you know, it's just nonsense. But my question, I guess, is why does it always seem like Dallas ends up with, with these, with, with these guys, how has that worked out for them? And I guess just broadly, what's your sense of uh, Michael Parsons? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's worked out that well for them, particularly since the, you know, Super Bowl era, their, their Super Bowl runs in, in the early nineties, because, and, and to answer your other part of your question, the reason to me, 100% is Jerry Jones. Because I even think that they're going to get away from that when Stephen Jones ends up being 
the person in charge. Like, I don't think that they're going to take as many risks. They'll still take some, they're still going to be the Cowboys and they're going to, you know, they're willing to bring on some, some guys that maybe other teams aren't, but I don't think they do it nearly to the level that Jerry Jones has. Uh, and, and even when Jerry's been asked about this, cause it's obviously something that we talk about and write about a lot down here. You so often find him referring back to the nineties and you're just like, man, that's so long ago to be talking about how you took this chance on Charles Haley, you know, like he'll mention like, He'll, he'll, he'll mention like Des in there for how they traded up to get Des when obviously Des slipped in that 2010 draft. But even that's like, yeah, you, you didn't get to like some NFC championship game. You didn't get back to like a Super Bowl. Like, where is this paying off for all the chances that you're taking on your, you know, Greg Hardy's and, and even Randy Gregory, a guy that's still on the team right now uh, that they took in the second round in 2015, first round talent that fell to the second round because of off the field concerns. David Irving's a guy that they, you know, that they gave multiple chances to that just, you know, Rolando McLean, like guys that just other teams would just be like, nah, we're good. We're not going to do that. Which, and then in case brings them up to where they're always involved for any Earl Thomas or anybody that's out there available. Everyone's like, well, the Cowboys go after that guy every single time that the Cowboys are mentioned with somebody like that. So I will say this, the Micah Parsons thing, they can say whatever they want now. That was not the original plan going in. The original plan was most certainly to get JC Horn or Patrick Sertan, the second, they felt confident that one of those two corners, if not both were going to be there at 10. And when they go eight and nine, right before them, then it's scramble mode. And it's, they certainly here, here's actions speak louder than words. Actions say, if you were just blown away by Micah Parsons, you don't dare try to trade back even for an extra third rounder. You take your guy right there at 10. Right. I can promise you right now, if Patrick Sertan and JC Horn were both right there, they wouldn't go, Oh, well, we got both these guys here. We'll trade back a spot and we'll still get one of them. They would have taken it was from everything I've heard. It would have been horn. That was the guy that they liked more um, of the two, but they would have certainly wanted one of them. But if both of them were there, I think they would have taken horn. So they trade back with Philadelphia who they felt confident that Devonte Smith was going to be the pick to either Philadelphia or right after the Giants. So he was going to the division anyway, so that, all the talk of why would you do that? Now you got Devonte Smith in division. They were confident he was going in the division regardless. Right. The thing is though, is like, but you still left a little bit of uncertainty there. Even if Micah Parsons was still your guy, because you traded back two spots. Like there's no guarantee that somebody doesn't trade up to get Parsons in front of you. And then what are you doing? So I kind of thought that even when they were on the clock, I thought they were going to take Rashawn Slater just because of the history that they've had taking offensive linemen. And then I thought that was just a great, great steal at 12 to be able to get Slater, a guy that you could have plugged in right away at guard. And he could have been the heir apparent to, you know, Tyron Smith at left tackle, or maybe he moves to right tackle. He just had a lot of opportunity there. So they take Micah Parsons. And so far, I mean, he, you know, you see him on the field, you understand why everybody, you know, he's the player that he was at Penn state. You can use them in a variety of ways. We've already seen it. They're moving them all over the place. Like he's not just playing your traditional, you know, four, three inside linebacker. They're moving him up to the line. He's going to be blitzing. He's going to be a chess piece for Dan Quinn. He's going to be bringing something to the Cowboys defense that people really haven't seen from the Cowboys in well over a decade. So I get all that, but there are concerns. There have to be concerns off, off the field. There's always that that's one of the biggest knocks on, on Micah Parsons. So, you know, if there are some growing pains early on, no one's going to be surprised by that. I mean, he certainly has a high upside. I mean, if he is completely bought in and, and everything works out and playing for the Cowboys, isn't too big for him and, you know, the whole glitz and glamour that comes with, you know, being a star for the Dallas Cowboys doesn't bother him and, and he can produce. 
they got a, they got a steal. They got a, they got a great player. He, they might've got the best pass rusher in this draft just because there wasn't a like elite top 10 edge rusher in this draft. Like there normally is in every draft. So there's the upside is there, but there's no question. I mean, I agree with what you said. They take chances on guys like this more so than just about any other team other than maybe the Raiders. And it just hasn't returned great investment on those investments. And unless you go all the way back to the early nineties. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like that. But as I was thinking, I was like, man, it feels like this happens all the time. And I, the Randy Gregory one always comes to mind. And it's just like, uh, I don't know, but you know, Jer- Jerry's going to Jerry, right? I mean, he he does things a certain way. And it's it's led to great success in his wallet, but not so much on the field for the last you know 20 years. I, I, obviously, similar story on this end on both of those, on both of those fronts, even though the two owners seem to handle their business in um in different uh in different ways um all right you uh your your turn question number two yeah so i think it might be an obvious answer for you maybe not but for the cowboys if i was picking a position group that just absolutely has to stay healthy for them to have success this year you know outside of quarterback obviously you need to have a healthy Dak prescott but i would say it's the their offensive line it's just this cowboys team is night and day different when they don't have their offensive line i mean when the schedule came out one of the first things I looked for was when do they play Washington? Because the later in the season that they're playing Washington, the greater the chances that a Zach Martin, that a Tyron Smith, that a Lyle Collins isn't healthy because just of the wear and tear you take throughout a season, these guys have dealt with injuries. And so you look at the success that teams have in the NFL, even ones that don't have all these first round picks on the offensive line, generally speaking, the ones that have the healthy offensive line, that's the same at the beginning of the season as the end of the season generally have really good success. And so for the Cowboys, I think it's their offensive line, but for Washington, is it that, is it the defensive line? Like what position group has to stay healthy for, for Washington to meet its expectations this year? Yeah. Fun question. Um, So one thing that's interesting about Washington is, they really have built up their depth over the last two years since Rivera has shown up that, you know, I'm not saying they have the a Super Bowl caliber starting lineup, but like it's pretty solid across the board. And there's some positions, um, defensive tackle, wide receiver, uh, some other spots where it's like, boy, they really kind of run deeper than you might think. So like the idea of like any one or two players getting hurt somewhere, does that injury sort of ruin them? Um, you mentioned the defensive line, obviously like, so much hinges on that group that that starting four, you know, could be one of the best ones in football. If everybody maxes out, but even if I say John Allen and Deron Payne, something goes wrong there. You still have Matt Ioannidis behind them who led the team in sacks in 2019. Then you have Tim settle behind them who I think could probably start for some teams. He's just been buried with these guys. That said, like one of the big questions going that, that remains for them is behind chase young and Montez sweat. What do you have last year? You had, Ryan Kerrigan and Ryan Anderson to start the year. Two guys who had been there, done that. Ryan Kerrigan, obviously, you know, an all-time great for the team, franchise leader in sacks, even though his play declined over the last couple of years. Right now, their backups to those guys are two dudes, they, three guys they drafted in the seventh round over each of the last two seasons, and another player they picked up off waivers last year. It is not a proven group. Well, there's some intrigue with some of the seventh round picks, but you know, nonetheless, they haven't done anything yet. And so to the point of Chase Young, it's kind of a big deal. And Montez Sweat, like that's where their pass rush is going to come from, at least on the edge. 
And if something happens, like so Chase Young skipped both OTAs, Montez Switch skipped one week. And when they weren't out there, you could see like, oh, whoa, uh, Casey Tuhill and William Bradley King are playing defensive end with the ones. That's kind of scary. So I guess I would say maybe not the unit as a whole, but the defensive end, because I just don't know right now what would happen. And I guess just to sort of add on one more, like they've got some running back running backs are interesting behind Antonio Gibson, but they don't have anybody that if Gibson goes out, he turned into a bit of a workhorse last year. And I think he's going to have a really good year. He's poised for that. But if he were to miss time, he missed time last year with the toe injury. They don't have a 15 to 20 carry guy that you could say, go, go in there. JD McKissick's a three, a, a passing down back and Peyton Barber, you know, he, he was good on third and one, but if it was third and two, good luck. So they don't have that. So I think like sort of that would be my other thing, not so much the position, but if Gibson were to go down, I think that would be a real problem for their, for the offense. Whereas like all the other positions, I'm not just saying don't lose Terry McLaurin or whatever, but like they seem to have depth elsewhere, but they lose that guy or either those two defensive ends. I I think things could be in trouble. It's like with the Cowboys, you know, a lot of people would probably say like if Ezekiel Elliott went down, like, yeah, maybe three, four years ago, but now like Tony Pollard would be at least be solid, but, they have so much invested at wide receiver and obviously at quarterback now that it's like, obviously they would rather have Ezekiel Elliott. They're at their best with him out there, but I think they could get by and still score points if he had to miss some time. And then the same thing at receiver, like if CD lamb was to go down, you still have a lot you can lean on there with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper and even Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz at tight end. And then on defense, there just isn't many, there's just not a lot of talent over there where you're like, Oh, if that defensive line got decimated, it's like, well, it's really not that great anyway. I mean, they paid DeMarcus Lawrence a ton of money two years ago, but like he led the team last year and with six and a half sacks, like they need so much more out of that defensive line that it just, it's so hard to look at their team on defense and say, oh yeah, if, if their safeties got decimated, well, they weren't really that great to begin with, you know? So, and then an offense, it's just like, almost like the embarrassment of riches. Like there's just almost like too much invested over there. You, you, you wish that you could sprinkle some of that over onto the defensive side of the ball, but it is fascinating the way that between Washington's defensive front and the Cowboys offensive front, like how much those two matchups. Cause I, again, think the division comes down to those two teams, those two games that are going to be so close to each other late in the season. And I really think that they come down to as simple as that. Like what kind of pass rushes Washington get? And then how does the Cowboys offensive line hold up against that? Like, can they still score points against it? Because I think Ryan, just from my perspective, I I would bet that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be their starting quarterback. If even not to start the season at that point, I think he can do enough against the Cowboys defense to score points. So I think it just, it really comes down to when the Cowboys have the ball is Washington going to be able to shut them down. You know, I mean, I can just tell you from the perspective down here, people obviously are very, very scared of Chase Young and what he can be, and what he can potentially become. There's no question about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, uh, un, un, understandable. And Dallas's offensive line, like Washington's defense, statistically was really good last year. I thought it was like a li- made them a little more overhyped because there were a lot of games like the games against Dallas. That first game with you know Ben DiNucci's in there at quarterback, but also the, <laughs> but like even the second game, the offensive line. You know, injuries happen right off the bat in both uh, both games. Like the Washington defense could just overrun second stringers, and that happened a few times to them during the year with some backup quarterbacks and things. Um, and that they were good, but it made them even better. And you're right, if uh, you lose an offensive line, it makes everything else so much more complicated. You know, it's kind of crazy too. Is I just you know, I don't think the NFC East is going to be that much better. Like, do I think it's going to be as bad as it was last year? No, but I think 
that it will still be one of the worst divisions in football. And I honestly think that, especially with 17 games, it's going to be, I think we're going to see just as many injuries. I think of like what you said about like taking advantage of teams with, with injured players and stuff like that. And just winning games like that, like that'll probably be the difference between Washington and Dallas and who wins the division. I just really think that it's going to be, I don't think any, either of these teams is winning 13, 14 games. I just don't see that happening. So it's going to be like taking care of the, the games that you should win and then winning those games when you play Dallas, if you're Washington or the games against Washington, if you're Dallas, you know, taking care of the division and then you get in the playoffs and then you hope that you get hot at the right time. I just don't look at either of these teams as being some juggernaut that you're like, well, if they get off to a hot start, they're not going to be a catch. Now, of course we say that, or I say that right now. And it's like, you know, one of these teams will run away with it or something. I mean, it is, it is so bizarre that there has not been a repeat division champion since 2005. I think it is like, and every other division hasn't gone more than I think two years without a repeat champion. Like it is, there's just, it's hard for me to think that all of a sudden, Oh yeah, that year is behind us. This is going to be a good division now. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, we, we talked right before we started about possible questions. I'm going to sort of pivot off of my, my, my last one here, sort of off of what we just discussed. And that is sort of who is going to win the NFC East. Um, I think I heard Lewis Riddick the other day said, it's clear it's going to be Washington. Uh, I'm sure there are people who say, well, Dak Prescott's the best quarterback in the, in the division easily. Therefore, you know, Dallas could have, you know, Dallas is almost, you know, they almost won it last year, despite all the crap that they went through with back and crazy quarterbacks. I mean, again, the division was whatever it was, but, um, uh, and Washington certainly had its own share of terrible quarterbacks. Uh, so, uh, you know, then, but like, there's also, I think the giants, I feel like maybe are not getting enough credit. Maybe it's because people just disrespect Daniel Jones to the nth degree, which I get, but I kind of felt like the Giants made some strides last year. I do kind of just ignore the Eagles at this point. I'm not the biggest Jalen Hurts fan, and it doesn't even feel like they're really trying. But, look, the NFL is weird. Things could happen. But I guess I guess my question more or less is you're saying Washington, Dallas. I guess what's the case for your side? If it's going to go well, what what's the thing that why, – why should people buy that Dallas wins it? And if it's going to go wrong, I guess what's the thing that's going to blow it? I think if they, if they win it, the biggest difference will be that the defense will look like they've completely bought in. There were just too many times last year under Mike Nolan as a defensive coordinator, his first year in Dallas, where it didn't even look like the players were even trying that hard at the end of games. And that was just something that for whatever you want to say about Jason Garrett, that just didn't happen very often. I would say for the, as many questionable plays that I would say that maybe the defense turned in during Jason Garrett's entire tenure, I saw just as many just in one season last year from that defense. So I just get, you get the appearance that these guys are a lot more bought in now that Dan Quinn's a defensive coordinator. He's much more hands-on type teacher. And so the defense would have to be better and they have to avoid the injuries because here's the thing. Like I do believe that the Cowboys still would have won the division last year with Andy Dalton as quarterback. If Tyron Smith is healthy all season, if Lyle Collins is healthy, if Zach Martin's healthy, like it wouldn't have been pretty would have lost in the first round probably the same way that Washington did probably to Tampa Bay. And that would have been it. But I think they still would have won the division with those guys being healthy. So if you tell me that there's good health on offense and on on defense, they look like they're completely bought in and they can at least be a middle of the pack defense. That's not an embarrassingly bad, like worst one of, if not the worst defenses in the franchise's history, then that should be good enough. I think to win the division. Um, But you know, it's interesting because you do mention the giants. I, I shouldn't just completely dismiss them. Maybe that's a little bit because I just think that they're going to be kind of vanilla on offense just because I had seen so many years of Jason Garrett here 
But at the same time, Jason Garrett did find ways to, even though they might not have blown you away with the scheme they were running, they were really solid and they executed well. And when I say, I mean, 2014 and 2016 in particular. So if you tell me, and this is a big if, but if you tell me that you're going to get 16, 17 games out of Saquon Barkley, then yeah, maybe, maybe the giants do sneak up and, and he just has this bounce, but Saquon Barkley to me is a little bit like Leighton Vander Esch for the Cowboys, Sean Lee for the Cowboys. We are like, yeah, we know when they play that they can be good, but it just, there's this injury history. We're like, are they going to be able to play? So yeah, I guess going back to you make a good point, I guess. There is, there is definitely some sleeping on the Giants going on that if everything clicked for them, Saquon Barkley's healthy. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe they could sneak up on, on, on everybody and, and end up winning the division. And, and man, that would be wild down here just because so many people were obviously ready to move on from Jason Garrett. And then so for him to be the one that kind of stands in the way of the Cowboys getting to playoffs, you know, for a second year under Mike McCarthy, it would make for a lot of interesting storylines. Yeah, yeah, and, um, you know, look, I mean, Look, again, I'm not, you know, quarterback play is so important and Daniel Jones has been up and down. I feel like for some reason, like I'm not as down on him as other people. And maybe that's because I was often comparing him to Dwayne Haskins, who I really was out on pretty early on, but they were in the same draft. And it was, a, you know, that was the whole thing where Dwayne Haskins. So you're saying at the time of the uh, pre-draft when you guys were, you know, obviously there was a lot of talk about that. Um, you were clearly like you wanted Daniel Jones, you thought over Dwayne Haskins. I, it's not so much that I, it's just more that in the, like, I didn't want, I didn't like the Dwayne Haskins pick. And once I really sort of looked at Daniel Jones, it just felt like the, the, the questions with Dwayne Haskins seemed pretty pronounced. And with Jones, it's just like most quarterbacks, like, you know, I don't know. Can he make the adjustment? Is he ultimately good enough? But with Haskins, it felt there was like more fundamental. Like the, when you watch, when I watch Daniel Jones play, I could see the basis of a guy who could be good. Maybe he doesn't get there, but you could see the basis. Haskins, the, the, the it was just so the, the, he lacked the fundamental understanding of what it really took to be quarterback, and that was part of the frustration last year with, with for Ron Rivera was like they had to dial back the offense so much um, when he was in there that they could even with Alex Smith on one leg, they were able to do a lot more things. Um, than, than they could w- with Dwayne Haskins because he just didn't get it. Whereas, like I'm saying with Daniel Jones, it's like, okay, whatever. I'm not saying he's uh, top half quarterback in the league, but, like, he can do some of the basic stuff. And now it's just a matter of can he do it consistently, which is, you know, pretty much the problem for any quarterback that that, that kind of struggles. Now, obviously, they, have, they add Kenny Galladay, they draft Kadarius Toney. Um, you know, they clearly have more weapons. If, if Barkley is able to play most of the year, you know, that should take a lot of the pressure off him. And obviously, those things help, you know, a guy like that as well. Two-part question on that. Do you think that Justin Fields' draft stock was hurt by Dwayne Haskins? And second part is, how would what, have, what would have been the Washington reaction uh, from their fans if they had traded up for Justin Fields? Because I think Justin Fields is clearly a better player, but I can see how a fan base would be like, because I'll give you a quick example of the Cowboys. Like, man... Morris Claiborne really ruined it for LSU corners with the Cowboys fan base. Like they need a couple more years to buy and in until like they get another, like, because they traded up and got him. It was like to Cowboys fans, like LSU corners are just like off the board now. So is it this, is there any similarities there in Washington with Ohio state quarterbacks? I mean, there definitely was some of that, but I think people were Justin Fields was, you know, looked to be pretty special in college. I mean, again, so did Dwayne Haskins, but um, 
I think people would have been fine ultimately if they had made made a move. And a lot of people were upset that Washington punted essentially on their long-term issue. And Justin Fields was sitting there at 11 and the bears picking one spot behind Washington traded up to that spot. Uh, so we kind of know exactly what the offer would have been, you know, a first round pick next year and some other stuff. Um, but in terms of the other part, I do think on some level it did a little bit. I mean, I think scouts are reasonable enough to understand they're huge different, two different human beings, but it's not even just Dwayne Haskins. The history of Ohio state quarterbacks is pretty grim uh, in the pros. And uh, you know, it just hasn't worked out. And I think that is part of the question is sort of like, what are they doing there? Like, you know, I, I remember because early in the year, there was a lot of, we all thought they were going to be picking somewhere in the top 10 and one of the issues for Justin Fields, and I think the same thing with some of the Alabama guys also is how do you judge a quarterback when he has incredible receivers all the time in the world, all the things he's not necessarily going to have in the NFL level. How do you judge him when it's, it's not just, it's not purely pitch and catch. You have to make accurate throws and this, that, and the other, but like, it's harder. I think for some, for some scouts to judge these guys when everything is at as perfect conditions as it could possibly be. Whereas in other scenarios, um, you know, l- l- less so, but you know, that, that kind of. Okay. One more on that then. Okay. Let's say that the Washington traded with the Cowboys up to 12 and Ron Rivera calls you and goes, Ben, we're taking a quarterback right now. And, but you can pick who it is. Are you taking Justin Fields or are you taking Mac Jones? And the reason I'm asking this right now is because I feel you can say a lot of the same things about Mac Jones. Like it's not like they were hurt. They are for hurting for receiver at, Alabama it seems like they're always loaded there it seems like they got a great offensive line great running game but if if Ron Rivera calls you when they're on the clock at 12 what would you have told him to do um uh, first of all I would say how'd you get this number no um <laughs> I, I mean look I guess probably at that point especially if it got leaked that I'm the one that made the pick I probably would have gone with Justin Fields because I feel like I would have gotten murdered if people said wait you could have taken either guy and you went with Mac Jones that's true uh I don't think I, don't think I could have taken that heat I know that I was told that they liked Justin Fields uh, I mean look obviously Trey Lance went third so I'm not saying they didn't like him but there was like this you know there was some notion that they really liked him at one point and that seemed to be like to the point they would make a huge trade and that seems overblown from what from what I gather but I do sense they like fields but obviously they didn't like him that much because if you like a quarterback it's not that complicated are you going to trade your first round pick next year or not they obviously decided not to and uh, you know now they're still in this position where they don't know who their long-term answer is but just because you draft a quarterback doesn't mean you solve that problem either it means that you drafted a guy and you hope you solve the problem so um yeah I mean I think I, I think I would have gone fields but um I I, I I think I think I said earlier that even though their biggest issue perhaps is that this offseason is they didn't solve their long-term issue, I also thought one of the better moves they made was not panicking and throwing a whole bunch of stuff to get it. They tried to get Stafford. Um, that didn't work out. Uh, okay, but then they didn't panic and make some crazy another move in free agency. They waited, got Fitzpatrick, um, you know, for one year. And then they didn't, you know, they, they didn't take a quarterback in the first round or the second round and, you know, yes, they still have a question, but Ron Rivera's point is that, you know, we have, we also have a full team and now we, we think we have more pieces. So I'm okay with that, but yes, they, they, they still, it's still a question. You, you asked me earlier, is Fitzpatrick the quarterback next year? I don't know. I don't know who it is. And that's until you solve that leaks, say whatever you want about Dallas over overpaying Dak or not. We know who their quarterback is. So there's something to be said for that security that Washington does not have right now. And then the last one of my actual three that I had written down for you was 
Uh, I'm looking for an under the radar player that you think could possibly have a breakout year. Um, because for the Cowboys, the guy that I keep saying is Randy Gregory. And it's just because he's 28. He this finally gets a chance that like he's where he's put it all together. You know, he had so many, he's actually been suspended more games than he's actually played in his NFL career after being a second round pick in 2015. Wow, really? And it's all, you know, um, for violating the league substance abuse policy, you know, smoking marijuana. And obviously that they've relaxed their, uh, st- you know, what they test for and things like that with marijuana. And so he hasn't, he, he was suspended the first four games last year. Um, but then came back and, and, and play, or sorry, the first six games and came back and, and played well. And now Alden Smith's gone. So Randy Gregory steps in contract year, and he's going to get a lot of snaps at that right defensive end spot, right edge rusher spot, whatever you want to call it. So I think he is the guy for the Cowboys who could potentially end up leading them in sacks. And maybe that gamble that Jerry made way back in 2015 <laughs> finally pays off in 2021. Um, but he'd be the guy for the Cowboys. Who's that? Who's that player for Washington? So I'm trying to think, like, I think breakout, right? You think of some guy a little more under the radar, whatever. But I'm going to go with the guy who's a starter, who's actually fairly prominent. But even within the group, he doesn't get the same attention. And that's Duran Payne. Um, I mean, look, he's been a totally solid player, but you know, and it hasn't been to a Pro Bowl yet. When you talk about the defensive line, everybody talks about Chase Young first. Montez Sweat's the one that led them in sacks last year. Matt Ioannidis led them in sacks the year before. The talk this offseason is as Jonathan Allen, who was the first of their four consecutive first round picks. Is he getting a contract extension? And Dur- like, I don't Oh no, Did we talk to Payne? May- well, let's put it this way. I, th- yeah, I think I think we talked to Payne this offseason or during the OTAs. I don't even remember. That's how it, little because he's not much of a talker, but that's mm-hmm. how little of an impact it was like he's not he's not a guy who's first and foremost of anybody's attention, even though he's a very good player and some people think he's arguably their best all-around defensive lineman but let's be realistic after this season he also he was a draft pick in 2018 so after this season he's going to be the guy in line to get the extension just like john allen is now and you know people tend to have good years when uh when 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 more money is in line i'm not saying he hasn't played well i'm just saying we, he hasn't had the pro bowl season he's not a guy that's gonna get all sacks but he is a force inside when it comes to the run stuffing. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we end up talking more about Deron Payne last year. I remember last off season, I, I had Jack, I talked to Jack Del Rio once and I asked him a question when you're, when you're uh, just chilling out at home and you're bored and you just want to put on some tape, who's the player on your team, whose tape you put on. And he said, Deron Payne. And um, I, I took that as a, as a sign. And, you know, like I said, he had a good year last year, but, I'm thinking like there's another there's another step there to the point where maybe he's a pro bowler this year in to get ready for that contract uh, extension talk next year. Yeah, that's crazy. If 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 they all stay healthy up front there, I mean, it's just an embarrassment of riches over there. But I mean, hey, they've made a conscious effort. I mean, those are everyone's been drafted on that side, right? All the all the all the the, the main pass rushing. Yeah, the first four were all selected in the first round in four yeah. consecutive years, and then Ionitis was a pick as was settled. They were day three picks. Um, but, but yeah, they have a lot of guys. It's very interesting. Uh, if they all peak, they, if they all hit their, hit their, you know, hit, hit their marks that people think they could be incredibly dominant. And uh, you know, they've upgraded, I think in some other spots on defense. So that defense could legitimately be top 
whatever this year if, if things go well but uh, that's the whole fun of this we will we will see you never know um well john man you uh came through it was a last second ask i really appreciate you you uh you doing it uh as i said i don't 100 know when i'm gonna run this so if i say is there anything you want to plug i don't exactly how that will work but like for you i guess like as you're going into the to the summer is there any like uh any things to keep an eye on or or, or what uh what should people be aware of if they want? I, I think if nothing else, you should put out a tutorial of how to get a, a hat perfectly bent. Uh, you, you have the perfect hat, hat, <laughs> hat, hat bent situation. I think you should work. You do something about right about that. I, I would read that article. Yeah. I wear way too many hats. Uh, no, uh, I'll, obviously there's my big thing with, with the way I cover the Cowboys is that I'm trying to always have stuff up all the time. You know, I'm always trying to have, different like looks at like, you know, five players to keep an eye on feature stories on other draft picks, things like that, that I haven't got a chance to get around to because it was just so crazy during OTAs and minicamp. So um, yeah, no, there's going to be plenty of stuff like that. Plenty of stuff looking ahead. And and really this is, we're going to get a chance to go back to training camp in July. And that just is a huge, huge time uh, to get information when you cover the Cowboys. It's just, it's way different. I, I don't know how your guy's situation is, but with the Cowboys moving to the new facility that they moved to, I mean, media is just on way on the other side from where we were when we were at the old Valley ranch place. And so training camp is that, is that time where it, it kind of feels a little bit like it used to be like where you get you're, a lot more face time with people in the organization, uh, a lot more opportunity to talk to people face, especially with the pandemic. Uh, you know, you just didn't get a lot of those things. So I'm really looking forward to just writing stuff as camp gets closer to the behind the scenes things and stuff like that. But, oh yeah, even, even when I'm on vacation, I always try and have some stuff up because man, I tell you like the Cowboys fan base, like it is really like absolutely 12 months of the year. Like there's no downtime. Like it's like, if the season goes bad, let's get in these mock drafts. Uh, after the draft's over, let's see how, what are the steps to winning the Super Bowl? And it's like, I don't know, man, it's a never ending cycle. I enjoy it though, because uh, it always keeps me busy. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, you have a crazy beat. I mean, I do too, but like we said before at the top, you know, you are America's team. So uh, there's a lot <laughs> There's a, there's a lot going here. I had America's dysfunctional team uh, the last year or so, but you had America's team all the time. Uh, go read John's stuff on The Athletic. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Many thanks to John Machoda. Many thanks to everybody for listening to this podcast. Um, we'll getting close to my to my return to normalcy here, so hopefully I'll, I will uh, have some fresh episodes coming up in the days ahead. Training camp, obviously, uh, the end of July, so we, we, we'll have some things to discuss as we get closer to that point. But for now, Ben Standing signing off. Until next time, see ya.